continue through Romans. And if you have a Bible, if you don't have one, they're scattered through the, the chairs around you. But grab one, turn with me to Romans chapter 14. One of the things we get to do that we love is walking through the scriptures is to open it up and see what the Lord is teaching us and telling us. And I just want to start today by saying, you know, grace is free, but it's not cheap, right? Grace is greater than our failings. And we're going to look at some very practical things today. My wife said this is called ruffle feathers morning. That sort of thing. We're looking at some very practical ways to live our life in Christ. And my heart is that we would see and tie them to the gospel because the gospel has come. And we've been through 11 chapters of Romans talking. We are not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is that we have our righteousness in Christ alone, by faith alone. That's all we have. And it's like a thunderclap. I couldn't find a good clip for it. So here it goes. Lisa woke you up. But it's like that. It's like this thing has come and it's changed everything in a massive tidal wave of sound and light. And we just started singing and ended with we're worship Christ forever in his glorious, awesome, shining city. And that needs to impact right now. It needs to impact our day to day. It needs to impact how we think about passages like this morning as we look at these practical things that we're so quick to judge each other on. Why don't you dress up more for church? Why don't you come to prayer meeting? Why don't you drive a large car? Why do you drive a large car? Why don't you walk? Why do you have a tattoo? Why don't you just avoid fatty foods? I saw you at McDonald's. We poke into each other's lives and we need to see where the gospel is so that we understand and we we are overwhelmed by the right things and we think about each other rightly. And that's this passage in Romans. It's important. So I invite you and I invite myself to to get our eyes on Jesus Christ. No matter where our positions are, no matter if we're weak or strong as we look at this passage this morning, that we live by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a reboot of our thinking, which is why I'm calling this reboot. A new way of thinking. It's a gospel way of thinking. So join with me. Let's look at Romans chapter 14. We're going to start with welcoming the weak. Verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Okay, we'll stop there for this first piece. That's a full paragraph. And you step back and we realize we're in a new topic this morning. We're still in this flow that we've come in from chapter 12 where we're a sacrifice. It's our reasonable service to God that because he's made us alive and he's made us holy and he's made us blameless, our reasonable service is to say, oh, my life is yours, Lord. Just tell me what to do. 
And so we've been through and we looked at chapter 12 and 13 where it's about love and actually so respond with loving your brother. And this flows right in those streams, those circles. But now we're here to welcome the one who is weak in faith. That's a very remarkable statement. It needs some fleshing out. What does that mean? What is it? So first, what's a weak in faith person? Is that me? Is that you? What is that? And I want you to see how remarkable and impacting this is. So we need to understand who the weak are. Here's who they are. They avoid, in this sentence, in this particular context, they avoid eating certain meat. They eat only vegetables. And he adds in, in verse 21, we won't go there, we'll flow through later, is they, they don't drink wine. So the strong in faith, they eat anything. And the weak in faith, they're not eating meat and they're not drinking wine. That's interesting. Well, maybe they're legalists. No, they're not legalists. Either one of these groups. Legalism means they think that you have this thought that by what you do, you're earning merit from God. You're earning favor with God. Heaven is at stake. And so we're, we're making sure that we do things so that we get from God heaven. We're securing heaven by what we do. That's not these folks. Either side, they're not saying that abstaining gets you justified, secure salvation. They're not Judaizers. Because in other places, whenever that's happened, like in Galatians, Paul went after them. You don't get to heaven by that. Salvation is by Jesus Christ alone. So everybody's there in this chapter today. Whether you're weak in faith or you're strong in faith, you're in faith. The weakened faith here is in regard to meat and wine as being unclean or being common. So it's connected to Jewish practices. Their folks here are concerned with law-keeping as best practice. I will never rest until the good is better and the better is best. So here's a group of people who are called weak in faith and they're concerned that actually there are some foods out there that are connected to idols, that are connected to things that are bad and so they don't want the association and they feel like it's bad for them to eat it. So they're not gonna practice that way. They're not gonna live their lives that way. They're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, but they don't think they should do certain things by association. And Paul says that's weak. but you got to understand it because we don't do this with meat, but we do it with a lot of things. So get me, catch me. The weak regard meat and wine in this instance as unclean because they think that eating meat and drinking wine won't glorify God as much as abstaining from meat and abstaining from wine. That's a glorify God issue. I think it's more glory to God that I don't do those things that are associated with evil idols and pagan practices. I think it's more glorifying to God that I abstain from those things. That's where they're at. And finally, these weak folks in faith, they're wrong, right? There's no question Paul doesn't agree. Paul thinks they're wrong in this conviction. These folks were, had, they lack the knowledge that would liberate their faith, that would give them a, a way to, to be gloriously free in the Lord. Paul doesn't agree with where they're at. 
You say, well, Dax, how do you know? Well, let's pull in a couple cross-references. Take a quick look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It's the next book over from Romans. And in chapter 8, he says this in verse 6. Yet for us, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, verse 7, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Let's talk about the same folks. Or if you go over one chapter and look at First Corinthians chapter 10, and look at verse 25, he says this, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Wow, that's pretty clear. Eat whatever you, eat whatever sold. But then you have this group of people here, weak in faith, who are not doing that. They're not doing that. So this the weak brother, they're not there yet. It's one thing to tell you, don't have a conscience issue about what you eat. And it's another thing to actually not have you have a conscience issue. Do you see that it's hard just to choose, not to care? Things come up in our minds, things we think on, things we think this is wrong. And if you have a conviction something's wrong, then Paul is saying, hey, look, I don't agree with where you're at. The weak brother has a limited faith. The strong have a more full understanding of God and his relationship to the world. They're freed by this to embrace more of God's creation in a God-glorifying way. This is upside down and radical to our thinking. It is. The weak say, wear a certain style of dress to church. The strong say, what well, just matters what your heart is before the Lord. The weak say, play music a certain way in church. The weak say, avoid Christmas. Don't celebrate those days. The strong says, hey, days are alike. The weak say, never get a tattoo. The strong says, it's ink. The weak say, avoid certain foods. The strong say, no, all foods are okay. The weak say, don't drive a car because you could save, you could save environmental things. The strong says, I, whatever. <laughs> the weak say, don't watch the Super Bowl. At least keep your eyes away from the commercials because they're dangerous. The, the strong say, if it's not a conscious issue and it's not immoral, what, why are you putting a burden on me? The, the weak say, don't miss church on Sunday ever to run a race or go watch your kid's soccer game. The strong say, oh, I'm worshiping the Lord even as I do those things. Okay, I just said all that. And you know what? That's why this is called Ruffle Feather Sunday. Because some of you are like, you just called me weak. That, that, that's what you're thinking in your heart. Can this be true? It's like, Dax, this is a meat issue. No, he's making a general point. He is. It's upside down from our Christian cultural perspective. We think the strong are the ones who are behaviorally tight. That's what we think. Because it feeds my flesh a little. But the strong are actually the ones who get the gospel. Here's where we're going. There's an overwhelming blazing sunshine of light that we see and by which we are saved and is overwhelmingly what is the center of our existence and we cannot move away from it.
And so when we have some of these things that, that we're weak in, they make us think this is the way instead of the gospel is the way. Now, now, don't lose me because I just wanted you to see that Paul's actually calling weak in faith people who are tighter behaviorally and who are making distinctions and have conscience issues about the freedom of using the world and being a part of God's creation and standing in the gospel. So my thought is, okay, well, what we need to do is get weak people and we'll grab them by the scruff of the neck and we'll get them over here and make them strong. You guys, come watch the Super Bowl with me. That's just a silly example. Okay? I'm more like, you know, it is. you will eat this steak and you'll eat it rare. I like my steak well done, by the way. So it's surprising. It's surprising to us that that's not the key. That's not the lesson this morning is let's get the weak people and make them strong. That's not it. It's, it's surprising that how should we treat each other when we have these differences because these brothers who are weak in faith are weak. They're wrong in their thinking. But you know what? Paul's pretty impressed with them. Say that again. Paul's pretty impressed with them. Right? Their weak in faith is not their, their without faith. They're brothers and sisters in Jesus. They're saved by faith in Jesus alone. And we're talking about non-essential behaviorisms. What's wisdom? You have to realize that both, both people in this, both camps in this particular passage are thinking about doing things for the glory of God. I'm going to abstain because it gives God glory. I'm going to be free because it gives God glory. Neither one is saying, I'm going to abstain because it gets me bonus points with Jesus, or I'm going to be free because I love just to be licentious and evil. No. This is an, an, an argument over how do you glorify God in both camps want to, and that's why he says in verse 1, right? What is his first words? Welcome him but not to quarrels. Be accepting of the weaker brother. Keep divisive questionings to a minimum. Don't let arguments over non-essentials create barriers in the body. It's a big deal. He says again in verse 3, right? Look at verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, right? Let not the one who abstains pass judgment. So typically the strong person is tempted to look down on people who are limited. We laugh at them. That's wrong. T- typically, people who are limited and think that behaviorism is tight, they judge people who are free and they want to point fingers and say they're not doing it right. And Paul says, don't do it. How? How? There's a way how here that we accept each other and we build our lives on something greater than our convictions about these side issues. Why we accept our brother and sister who has a different convictions than you or I do about non-core things. When you don't agree, even though they, they love Jesus, even though you think they're wrong about a particular area. So Paul brings us to these three massive truths. Look, look at them with me in verse three. 
He says, right, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. And then he puts this in. Look, look. For God has welcomed him. He's talking to both camps. And he's saying, look, God has welcomed each of them. God has welcomed The great foundation for our forbearance one with another is that God has accepted us in Jesus Christ. If God has accepted you and I, where's the ground for us pushing aside each other? See, the great truth of Jesus Christ accepting us, even when we don't think perfectly, even when we continue to struggle, even when we continue to sin, that if our faith is in Jesus Christ, we're going to heaven, that truth pushes at our relationships, doesn't it? It has to. God has justified the brother or sister who by faith stands accepted by God. And then he keeps on going with another reason. Look at verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. We all give account to our one master in heaven. You don't need to lift yourself up as the judge, do you? We get to leave it to God. It is so hard to do. It is so hard to do. We come early to prayer meeting with just a few saints and we sit there and we pray. And it's so easy to start thinking, we have a lot of people in our church. Where are you guys? Man, I'm going to start in my head judging you, right? Is that right? No, that's sin on me, my part. Sin. We do this in so many ways based on how you dress or how you look or assuming that you're thinking something because you're, you're, you think a certain way that somehow you don't get Jesus. And yet, if your faith is in Christ, that's all that matters. That's it. There's something else here, huge. Look at verse 5. So it's just, actually, it's the end of forces. He, it is before his own master that he stands or falls. So you know what? He's only, each of us, we're only accountable to our Savior. And then he says this. This is awesome. Look, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. (laughs) Every believer, everyone, every one of us, no matter if you're tight and you're thinking, oh, I need to do this, or if you're you're, you're free and you're living, each and every one of us, even if we're wrong in some non-essential things, we will stand. Why are we going to stand in the last day? Because God upholds us. God's not going to bust out the doctrinal statement and say, okay, well, did you get this one right? Ooh, one minus. How about this one? Ooh, two minus. Where's the curve? We know, right? There's one way to get to heaven. There's one way in which we stand. Is do you or don't you have faith in Jesus? That's it. That's it. And then these other pieces, we won't all be right on. Oh, we desire. We're sitting here saying, I'm a living sacrifice. I desire to glorify God. And then with our best ability, here we are going and with with convictions doing it. But God makes us stand. So I want to go back. I think through this with me. The tattooed brother will stand. The brother who doesn't celebrate Christmas will stand. The sister who watches the Super Bowl will stand. The the sister who wears a head covering will stand. The brother who insists the only way to pray is by kneeling or by praying upside down will stand. The sister who drinks a beer will stand. The brother who only worships to a cappella Gregorian chant will stand. They won't like our worship. 
But you realize these things are, are all things that do not stop the Lord. They don't. So these are there's a huge reason to welcome and receive and accept one another into sweet unity and harmony and fellowship. Not about non-essentials, but this amazing ground that we stand on, Jesus Christ and him alone. That's where we live. This is so radical that it's not being right. I, I, so hard for me. I want, I want to be right. I spend hours studying the Bible because I want to get it right. I feel like you entrust me in our body to get up here and talk about scripture. I want to get it right. And then we hit a passage like this that says, you know what? There's, there's weak in faith people that are getting it wrong. And you know what you're supposed to do? Beat them overhead with a bat. No. Accept them. That's the gospel. Love them. You're supposed to realize that even if you're wrong in some non-essential things, that it doesn't stop the incredible unity of being in one body together. The Lord's able to make us stand. That's the thunderclap. Paul's solution, right, to being ruined by small things and getting into small things is to bring up the massive, awesome gospel of Jesus Christ that's the thunderclap in our lives that has changed everything and, and it trickles down into even these small things. Richard Sibbs is my favorite Puritan right now. He means he lived in the 1500s. He's just an old dead guy. But he wrote this. It's amazing. It says, as the sun, shining of the sun enlarges the spirit of the poor creatures, the birds in the springtime, to sing, so proportionately the apprehension of the sweet love of God in Christ enlarges the spirit of a man and makes him full of joy and thanksgiving. You see, it's the love of God that has impacted us. So we stand on grace. We love the weak. And this is our practice to, to, to reboot our thinking around the gospel. Around the gospel. Okay, let's keep going because we're not done this morning. Into point two. That convictions actually promote Unity. This is surprising stuff that only comes from the gospel. This reboots our thinking. But look at verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each should one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So this impacts us more because even in my family, I have a brother who rejects, doesn't celebrate Christmas. We've talked about it and talked through. So there are people who reject Christmas or Easter or birthdays for religious reasons. There's a range of those things in the Bible in Galatians chapter 4 that was happening. People were doing it legalistically. And Paul says, don't do that to observe days and seasons and years legalistically. In Colossians 2, we read it this morning, verse 16. Paul writes that, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in regards to food and drink or festivals or new moons or Sabbath, because they're just a shadow, and the substance is Christ. So these things are happening, but the interesting thing is what's going on. So read one more verse with me, verse 6. It says, the one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. 
So what's, what's Paul driving at? What's he getting at as we think about the gospel in terms of our relationships with each other and our convictions? Because in verses 1 to 4, he said, don't despise each other and don't judge each other. But here he's saying something different. He's saying, be convinced. Do you see how remarkable that is? I know, you come to church, you read the Bible, say, we read the scripture, and I read the scripture at home, and I don't. This is really, really radically remarkable. It, it is, because he's not saying it as a concession. He's not saying, oh, yeah, everybody can have their own conviction. No, he's saying you should have your own conviction. Everybody should be convinced. It's not permission, it's a command. It's like Romans 4.21. Back in Romans 4.21, Abraham, in the same language, listen, was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That kind of conviction. So minor matters don't call for mushy faith or flimsy convictions. They call for clear faith and full conviction. But that's why it's remarkable. That doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, really, walk with me. Full conviction leads to arguments. (laughs) I really think that celebrating Christmas is associated with a pagan ritual and don't do it. I really think I'm free and I love Christmas and it points to Jesus. I'm fully convinced. I'm fully convinced. Pretty soon. That's not unity. Somebody's got to give. How is it that the answer to minor issues isn't don't care? Because it's not. The answer to minor issues is not indecisiveness. It's not wavering. It's not doubt. It's not, I don't care. Do we want to? It's, no, I'm convinced. Well, let's glorify God together. What are you fully convinced of when he says, be fully convinced in your own mind? Isn't it that you're fully convinced that the action that you are taking, whether you're abstaining or whether you're doing it, the action you are taking is not sinful and it's honoring to God? to your Savior. It's the best way you can think of for you to act. It's not that you're fully convinced that the only way you could honor God is by doing that this way. Again, he brings us back to these big truths. He pulls us back. Look at verse 6 again, right? He says, look, true Christians on both sides of these issues are glorifying God in what they do. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. The one who doesn't eat, doesn't honor of the Lord. The one who eats, gives thanks to God. The one who doesn't eat, gives thanks to God. What's the issue? Are you giving thanks to God? If you're convinced in your mind, this is what you should do. If you aren't seeing in Scripture that it's wrong, and so it's a wisdom issue for you, are you glorifying God? Now, you can't do everything to honor the Lord because there's sin. There are things you cannot do that Scripture prohibits. But there are things that are free and things that you have to follow your convictions in. And that's okay because we look at each other and we think, oh, the main thing is Jesus Christ. The main thing is our union in Christ together, that we're a body and our body will have different convictions in different areas. And it's okay if high view of scripture, the message of the Bible, the center core is right on. Even goes on in seven and eight. Look, things as opposite as eating and not eating. For none of us lives to himself. Verse seven, none of us dies to himself. 
For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Think about that. What's his argument for having full conviction? What's his argument for saying that, hey, eating anything freely could be honoring to God. Abstaining from eating, you can honor the Lord in too. Those are opposite things. They can't both honor the Lord. One's got to be right. That's where my mind goes. My mind goes to somebody's right. Doesn't yours? And he's already said, these guys who aren't eating, they're not right in the issue. But, but, they're still glorifying God. But, but, look, even this, why can that be? And then he brings up this amazing truth that, look, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. That's incredible. Well, it doesn't seem incredible. It just seems like a statement. No, walk back with me. If you live, you're breathing, you're eating, you're doing things, you're interacting with the world, you're having an Egg McMuffin for breakfast. Man, I'm stuck at McDonald's today. (laughs) Or whatever you're enjoying. You're breathing right now. You're enjoying the sweet air around you. You're enjoying the sunshine on a beautiful, well, rare, Bellingham sunny day. So, or, or you might be dead. And when you die, guess what? No more breakfast. No more Egg McMuffin. No more enjoying the cool day. You're dead in the grave and you're not getting anything. You realize that both of those states glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you're alive or whether you're dead because you're his. It's taking that extreme because we're arguing over eating, saying, look, 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 Pigging out and, and not, not gluttony, but enjoyment and glorifying God in the things you do. Or you're dead and you don't eat a thing. Ultimate extremes, opposites, and they both show the infinite value of the Lord Jesus. If God can get glory from those opposite things, why do we want to judge each other over our little behavioral differences? How can that be? So he goes on and tells you how. Look, keep going, go back to eight. He says, so then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. See, the answer to how different activities can answer, can honor God is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the dead and Jesus Christ is the Lord of the living. It's all about Jesus these radically different relationships to the world, both life and death, they display the infinite worth of Jesus because Jesus died and rose to make living people and dead people his own possession. They will all glorify Jesus. We are focusing on the wrong stuff, you see. This is Paul dealing with non-essential matters. He doesn't say, don't sweat the small stuff. He doesn't say, lighten up. He says, be convinced. And see, our convincing guides my behavior, but it's in the ground, it's in the foundation of understanding the gospel, which means my relationship to you is so much more important than whether you and I decide we're going to eat steak. It's so much more important than that. This is a reboot in our thinking. I don't need to argue for my position. I need to be convinced that I'm honoring my God. And if my brother affirms he's honoring the Savior, I don't get to go judge him. 
I don't get to go push him unless I can see in scripture and I can show him, look, look, this, that, that, what you're doing, I think it's a sin and I want to help you. Okay, one more little tiny piece and we're done. Derision no more. Verse 10, so why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. What's really at stake this morning? What is there here that we need to really make sure we take home? See that Paul is after much more than just relational smoothing. He's after much more than just trying to get us to superficially get along, but underneath be angry at each other. He's elevated these things. He's introduced these heavy truths about life and death and justification and final judgment and persevering grace and death and resurrection of Jesus. So to go through the small stuff, we go and we look again at the big stuff. If you're having trouble with the small stuff, back up and go look at the big stuff. That's that's what he does with us. This is so serious because when we start to pass judgment on our brother, we're pulling away from the gospel. I'm putting me over you when I do that. I'm not saying we're one in Jesus. I'm saying I'm over you. That's a dangerous place to be. Because there's one judge, and that one judge is our Savior. We will all stand before him. It's called the Bema Seat. We will all give an account of our lives before our Savior. We will all see the ways in which the Holy Spirit used us, probably ways we don't even recognize often, that he used us and it will bring joy to us. But don't do this. Don't have you get there and him say, I want to show you the ways in which you put your brother down. Don't do that. I want to show you the ways that you despised your brother. Don't do that. This serious stuff of our church, we need to learn to love each other. And learning to love each other means that we get a firm grasp on what the big truth is. And we live there. And then we extend grace, right? I can't play fast and loose with someone's conscience so that I cause someone to act against their conscience. We'll be looking at this next week to act against their conscience and take lightly that when they act with assurance of what they think is right. I can't. Even if I don't think they're quite right, it's much better for me to give them grace. Follow your conviction. Guess who can change consciences and conviction? God can. So I can't be passing judgment. I can't be judging my brothers to be unbelievers because of non-essentials. I can't despise and treat scornfully people without affection. I can't give them the impression they don't know Christ. That doesn't mean I can't help people through sin. Galatians 6.1, you who are strong, gently restore the weaker brother. But what God cares about, right, This is our God. We've come to worship him. We've come to say, Lord, just tell me, Father, I'll do anything. Lord Jesus, you've saved me. I desire to follow you. What God cares about is not, did you win your argument? It's not what God cares about. 
What God cares about is not did you squelch someone who is weak or stop that brother who smiles too much when he eats steak tartare. God cares about, do you see the gospel? Whether you're weak or whether you're strong, is it in faith that you act? Are you thankful to God? And can you see that your brother may be too in the practices and things that he or she is doing? Good, better, best. I will never rest until the good is better and the better is best. With those words, well-meaning believers often go out and tear down the church because they want to impose what they think is best on everyone else. Please don't do it on non-essentials. Realize that our God is the one who makes us stand. There's a better way. So my appeal to you this morning with us is that we might get overwhelmed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We might embrace differences in this radical, costly, and yet free grace of God that has made us to stand in Jesus Christ, that gives us such humility because it's not about us ever, that gives us such gratitude to say, you know what, I'm willing to overlook differences even though I will hold to my convictions as I read the Bible the best I can to honor my Savior and that we might do so radically and fully and freely because of the gospel. And next week, I better see you in a suit and tie. No. Next week, may we gloriously come and worship our Savior. Let's pray.